You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. We have almost come to the end of John 8. um, And I pray that it has been a blessing for you um, as we have looked at all of these different ways in which Jesus fulfills all of the pictures that we see in the Feast of Booths. So if you've been here with us, you have seen that. Um, But it has been a blessing to me. I hope that it has been a blessing to you. It has been an incredible uh, couple of weeks full of challenges. Um, I don't know if you feel that with me, uh, but we have, as a church family, uh, we've experienced quite a number of challenges, um, lots of sickness. Uh, there have been um, several co- uh, cases of COVID, uh, which you are aware of. Um, and so we've been really wrestling with this as a church family, and it just seems like every turn uh, someone else is sick and we're having to fill in some gaps. Um, and then this past week, we had a couple of our children. Um, Hayden was uh, in, in a small accident and uh, broke his wrist, I think, separated from uh, the growth plate there. And so praying for him and that, there will, um, that God will bring healing and maybe a need for surgery. So you all pray for him. Um, and then yesterday we had uh, our first major scare as parents uh, when Avery uh, had a cheerleading accident and separated her elbow, uh, dislocated her elbow fairly significantly. And uh, if you've never heard your, your child scream in pain, real pain, um, it is hard. It is, hard. <laughs> um, it is gut-wrenching. And, um, and so anyway, it, it has been just a, a tornado of a couple of weeks um, and it's at times like this that I would just want to say that I am thankful that we can be a part of a church family. Um, we had uh, one of ours, um, Mary Lou cleans the church every week, does so just volunteering her time. Uh, we rejoice in that and uh, thank her for that as you have opportunity. Um, and, and in spite of her being out this week, we had a whole team of people rally and help clean the church and get things ready for today. So thankful for that. Thankful for all of the ways that you have responded, uh, and praying for various people on Facebook and various needs. And I'm just thankful that we can be a part of a church family because it is in this church family that we experience all of the benefits of having brothers and sisters in Christ. And having a heavenly father. And in the midst of this family, we get to experience God's instruction and his counsel and his teaching. Mutual encouragement in God's word. We get to experience correction when we are wrong. And how many of you have ever been wrong before? 
All right, the rest of you are lying, uh, so you will have correction after church. But at any rate, um, strength in, in being together, man, just such blessings. The list could just go on and on and on about how wonderful it is to be a part of a church family. But can I just say to you this morning, can I say to you that we want you, if you do not, if you are not a part of this church family, we want you to be a part of this church family. More than that, it is our deepest desire that you would be a part of the family of God. To know Him as Father and to experience all of the blessings of sonship. To know what it means to have a heavenly Father. And this is exactly what we sang about this morning. Being a child of God and knowing God as Father. This is exactly what Jesus proclaims in this passage. What does it really mean to be a child of God? Well, John 20, verse 31 says that these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have have life in His name. The whole point is that you would recognize and put your faith in the only Son of God in order that you might become a child of God. This is the good news of John 8. So, as... There have been each and every week, there are two goals this morning. One that you, if you are here and you do not know Christ as Lord and Savior, maybe you're joining us online, you don't know Jesus. It is our prayer this morning that you would put your faith and trust in Jesus, that you'd believe the gospel and become a child of God. And if you're here this morning and you know Jesus as Father, my prayer is that you would remember the weight of what it meant to be without God without Him as Father, and that you would cherish all the more deeply what it means to know God as Father, and that you would be compelled, compelled to take that message to a world that is in need of this Heavenly Father. And the only way to know Him is through His Son, Jesus. So let's hear from Him this morning. John chapter 8, verse 31, if you've found your place, or rather, verse, uh, John chapter 8 and verse 39, if you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. John chapter 8, verse 39. The Bible says, They answered Him, that is the Pharisees, answered Him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. You would rather be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord. But he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? 
If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. Let me say that to you again. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Pray with me. Jesus, we pray that you would give us ears to hear your word this morning, that your spirit would open our hearts to believe it, to understand it, to receive what it is that you say to us. I pray that even in the midst of some very difficult words, that we would see them with only the clarity that only you can offer. I pray that our hearts would be broken at the condition of our hearts and our lives, that that we would see with great clarity the sin that separates us from You, that we would see our distance from You. And today, that if there is one who has never come to faith in Christ, help them to understand what it means to call You as Father today. I pray that they would know You by faith in Your Son, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So, in Luke chapter 15, which is not where we are this morning, in Luke chapter 15, we have a story known as the tale of two sons. Maybe you know this story better as the story of the prodigal son. It's the story, of course, about two sons who had varying relationships with their father. They had different responses to their father. The younger son, of course, is a rebellious, disobedient, demanding son who wanted only what he wanted and he had no intentions of obeying the father. And in his rebellion, he demanded his inheritance from his father and he goes out and he spends everything that he has. He wastes everything that he has, which is why he's been given the title of the prodigal son. He's prideful and rebellious. And yet there's a second son, the older son, who is prideful and self-righteous. He also demands his inheritance, but not to spend it in the way that his brother did. He, He demands his inheritance because he's always done what was right. He's always obeyed the Father. He's always done the the right thing according to his Father's rules. And so he feels like he deserves the inheritance. Both of these sons wind up before the father at the end of the story. And the one younger brother is restored because of his repentance, while the older brother remains separated from the father, still in his pride. And Jesus tells this story to the same group of people that he's telling this message to this morning. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. And he tells the story because they themselves were self-righteous and prideful. They had the heart of the older brother. And in order that they might understand their pride and their self-righteousness and ultimately their, (coughs) their separation from God the Father, he tells them of the two sons. This, in John chapter 8, is the tale of two fathers. It's the only place we have this recorded in Scripture. And Jesus is speaking to the same group of religious leaders. 
But this time, he tells them the story of these two fathers, God and Satan. He tells them the story with the same great purpose. That they would see their separation from God the Father. Except this time, the story is different. It involves them directly. And this time, he doesn't leave them to figure out what it is that's their indictment. But rather, he is crystal clear about what he says to them. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Jesus is in all speaking in a parable. He is applying this directly to them. God is not their father. He says to the religious leaders of the day, you are not a child of God. You are not a part of his family. The argument that Jesus makes for that really begins back in verse 35 where we spent some time last week. Jesus said that the slave does not remain in the house forever. And then he makes this contrast. He draws a comparison. He says the son remains forever. Not the slave, but the son. The son remains in the house. The son receives all of the benefits from the father, not the slave. So he says, as we looked at last week, verse 36, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. On his authority, on the authority of the only son of God, Christians are free from sin, free from death, free from hell. And we praise God for this, but it is not by our merit. It happens because the son is the one who does it. Verse 37, he argues against their own reasoning. They had claimed to be the offspring of Abraham. He says, I know you're the offspring of Abraham. But then he draws the contrast again in verse 38. I speak of what I have seen with my father. Of course, this is Jesus' father, the heavenly father. And you do what you have heard from your father. It's a different father. There's an assumption here. The assumption is that Because they're the offspring of Abraham, they assume that they have God as their father. Because they're the offspring of Abraham, they're in the family. They were born with certain rights to God. Rights that not everyone had. That's why they argued here in verse 33 that they are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you'll become free? No, Jesus, we're born free. We're born the people of God. We already have this freedom. Our inheritance is guaranteed. You see, in their minds, listen to this very closely. In their minds, their relationship with God was built upon their natural birthright. They believed that just because they were born of a certain blood lineage, They had rights to God. Now, could they not make that claim? Well, let's ask Scripture. Exodus 4 says that Israel is God's firstborn son. We've been in Exodus and Connect group. Exodus 4 verse 22, Israel is God's firstborn son. Or Jeremiah 31, the place where we read the new covenant. He says, God says, I am Israel's father. That could clearly be said about God's relationship to them, but the converse is not necessarily true. God had always been, listen to this closely, 
God had always been a faithful father to Israel. But Israel never finally turned their faces to God as father. In fact, they continued to turn their faces away from Him. It was not the Father that left the sons. It was the sons who left the Father. And here we are. Here the oldest of the two, the prideful and the self-righteous, and they are making this proud claim while defying the Father at the same time. And Jesus says, no. You may think that you are sons, but you are wrong. And not only did Jesus say you're not the children of God, he actually argues in a completely way, in a completely different way altogether. He says, no, you are not only not born of God, but you are actually born of a different father altogether. Your father is Satan himself, the devil. You're not the children of God. You're children of the devil. And the point that Jesus is making Not just to these Pharisees, but all who would hear. The point is this. We are not, no matter what blood lineage that you are from, no matter where you were born, what family you were born into, what country you're in, what church you attended, we are not the children of God by nature. We, we don't, we don't get born flesh and blood. We don't just get born into the family. Of course, there is direct application here because I think that this is one of the greatest struggle points in the Bible Belt, especially, but in the American church, one of the greatest struggle points is how a person can identify with Christ and call themselves a Christian. So many have assumed the dangerous idea that we are somehow all God's children. Every one of us has just this good-natured nature And we're in a right relationship with God by nature. You're born into it. You go to church, right? You know all of the right answers. You just think that you're born a Christian, either consciously or subconsciously. You just think you've always been a Christian. And you assume that you just naturally deserve it. Or maybe because you were born in America and you are an American that you just happen to be Christian. But I... I want to tell you this morning on the authority of God's Word that it could not be farther from the truth. We are not born naturally into God's family. In fact, we are born naturally into a different family altogether. You say, Pastor, he's talking to the most religious of the day, and those were the Pharisees. We're basically good people. Not so. Listen to what Ephesians 2 says. And you, describing, by the way, the natural man, you who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, listen to who we were following, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan himself, the spirit that is now at work in, listen to the description, the sons of disobedience. And who are those sons of disobedience? Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is our natural state, our natural condition. We aren't children of God by 
nature? The answer to the question is emphatically no. You say, wait wait a minute, Pastor. What about Acts 17? Paul is there talking to the men in Athens and he says that we're all the offspring of God. We are indeed his offspring. But don't miss the context. Yes, in a sense, we are all the children of God in that he's created us all and we owe life and breath and movement and being and everything that we are to God. You you would not be here this morning were it not for him. Amen. But that doesn't make you a Christian. You following me? You are not born a child of God. You must become a child of God. I talked to someone just this week who came to this realization that all of their life, they just, they just thought they were a Christian. There was never any point in their life that they came to the place that they realized they were a sinner. There was never any point that they confessed their sin to God. They just kind of, by osmosis, just were in the church and grew up in the church and became an adult and just lived the Christian life, but they had never repented of their sins, confessed their need for Christ, and been born again. The fact is that this is the very thing that must happen to every single one of us. By nature, what we are not, we must become. We are not born as children of God. We must become born again children of God. And it is for two reasons that we know that we are not children of God. And Jesus names them explicitly in the text. Twice, twice these Pharisees reject what Jesus is saying. They argue against. They give a rebuttal. But we're the children of Abraham. We've never been enslaved anyone. Twice they rebuttal Jesus. And both times Jesus gives an answer. The first reason why we are not children of God by nature is this. We disobey God. We disobey God. Notice verse 39. Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. Huge. He says, you want to argue that you're Abraham's children? Fine. But if that's true, then you would be living the same way Abraham did. Verse 40, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. That is not what Abraham did. And then he makes the contrast, verse 41, you are doing the works your father did. Different father. They say Abraham is their father, but they do not do what their father did, or at least the one they claimed. They lived a life completely opposed to the life that Abraham lived. What kind of life then did Abraham live? Well, again, let's go to the Bible. Genesis chapter 26 and verse 5. Abraham by no means was perfect. Understand this. But the general tenor of his life, you just describe Abraham kind of in this mantra. Here's what Genesis 6 or 26 says about him. Verse 5. Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So what what Jesus is saying is, you take Abraham that you say was your father, and Abraham more or less followed me. He more or less obeyed me. He was more or less faithful to me. And you say you follow him, and you're trying to kill me? No, the picture is, you are disobedient to God. You don't live the life. That Abraham lived. 
Now again, don't misunderstand. It wasn't, it wasn't based on, it wasn't based on Abraham's merit that he earned a right standing with God. It wasn't because he did anything good. It's, it's not because he ultimately was perfect in the law. It's ultimately because the father was faithful to him and in Abram's faithfulness, he called him out. He said, I'm going to use this man. It wasn't based on Abraham at all. It was based on what God was doing. These Pharisees would have been perfectly familiar with this story. Jesus is not arguing for justification by works. He's drawing a line in the sand that there's a great difference between the people of God who are children of God and those who are not. And the great line in the sand is those who are children of God are actually obedient to Him. And you're not. It's interesting that Romans 3, the great sin chapter, so to speak, begins with what advantage has the Jew, that question, or what value of circumcision? In other words, what advantage is your birthright? And then he argues against it. Romans 3, none is righteous. None, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. This is the argument. There is no advantage in birthright. There's no advantage in our goodness. Everyone has disobeyed God and we have become sons of the devil. Number two, second reason is because we reject God's son. We reject God's son. So he says, argument here in verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. The father, God were your father. You would love me, but they don't. They hate him. They rejected God's son. Jesus is saying God sent me and you claim to love this God, that God is your father and he's the one that sent and you're hating the very one that he sent. In fact, he is God in the human human flesh. You're looking at God in the face and saying, I hate you, but I love God. And it is interesting that Jesus followed that up with, you can't bear underneath my word. Let me tell you this morning, there are many different definitions of this thing we call, this person we call Jesus. All kinds of redefinitions today. And this so-called feel-good Jesus, we're... I love Jesus. I serve Jesus. Jesus is my Savior. You can say that all day long, but listen, if He is not the Jesus of the Bible, if that claim does not bear up under the Word of the living God, then you do not know Christ. You need to know Jesus in order to become a child of God. And what Jesus is saying, if you reject the Son, you reject the Father. And you have a different Father altogether. That's the claim. So Jesus says, God is not your father, but the most stinging part about it is verse 44 when he says, you are of your father, the devil. Seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? Especially when you're talking about the the most religious people of the day. These should be the most spiritual people of the day. And Jesus says, no, you're of your father, the devil. And we don't want to believe that. We We don't want to believe that we're evil. We want to believe that by nature we're all pretty good people. We want to believe that we've done some really good things in life. 
You know, there's there's far worse people, aren't there? I, I could be I could be in prison for murder. Could be on death row. I could be one of these human traffickers. I could be, and you fill in the blanket, whatever the worst person on the planet you think is. But Jesus took the quote-unquote best people of the planet and put them in the category of a different family. The Bible says that by nature, we are the children of disobedience. We are the children of wrath. We are the ones whose father is the devil. And Jesus says that our desire by nature is to do the father's desires. We want to do what our father desires. So what is it that he desires? And what Jesus does is he looks at these people who, at this point, I can only imagine their faces. And he looks at these people and he takes them all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And he proves to them that they're doing exactly what Satan wants. Exactly what he desires. They knew the scripture. They had memorized the Torah, remember. They knew exactly what it said. They knew the doctrine of original sin. And here Jesus says, He, that is Satan, was a murderer from the beginning. The serpent. Serpent in the garden, more cunning than any other creature, the Bible tells us, deceptive. Bringing about temptation and ultimately death. Man chooses the very thing that God hates. In the midst of that choice, the entire earth is plunged into ruin, including the entire human race. And in that time since, Satan has become the father of all mankind. Every person conceived in sin, Jeremiah says, lying from their very birth. All sinners by nature and by choice from the very moment that Adam and Eve made this choice. Adam and Eve lied, Cain killed, and it goes on and on and on and on. This is the condition of our world. And all of us, like the one who led us there, what are the ways? Well, first, it is what we've already said, our disobedience to God. Chapter 8, verse 39, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. What we're seeing there is, is that these are disobedient to God because Abraham was obedient to God generally. And what he's saying is, no, you are disobedient. You're not Abraham's children. You're of your father, the devil. Disobedience to God puts you in the category of the other family. And every single one of us, we've already seen from Romans 3, every single one of us have been disobedient to God. You might categorize that. You might put that in categories of really small things that, that aren't that big of a deal. And then really big things that are huge deals. You, you might categorize them, but God does not categorize them. It was by one act of disobedience that the whole world was plunged into ruin. And certainly our continued act of obedience will put us into ruin. Our disobedience makes us Not children of God. We have disobeyed Him as the Heavenly Father, but certainly not now our Heavenly Father by nature. Secondly, our rejection of the Son. And again, we've already seen this. Verse 42, If God were your Father, you would love Me. For I came from God and I am here. To reject Jesus is to reject the Father. You cannot love the Father and not love the Son. 
And this is so interesting because he is speaking to a group of Jews who, by and large, said that they loved God. By and large, were followers of God, obeyed the law. They were good people, quote unquote. They were the people of God. And yet, here is God's Messiah, the one whom he promised. And Jesus is him and they reject him right there. The entire nation Still in the place of rejection. You reject the Son. You reject the Father. You are not a child of God if you do not know Christ. Third. And this is where we start to pick up some different pieces. Verse 43. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Oh, church, listen. Those who are not children of God have an aversion to God's Word. An aversion. What do I mean by that? I mean you can't bear to hear it. Can't we just, can't we just hurry up and get this over with and move on? Because I, I just, I, this, this is, I don't, I don't enjoy God's Word. I, I can't stand to listen to God's Word. Or, or maybe, maybe there's something in God's Word. I'm willing to listen to some of it, but there's, there's certain parts of it. Man, we, we, we're not going to talk about that. Because I can't bear up under the weight of it. I can't bear to hear it. We all know those kinds of stories, don't we? Right? When it's, when it's something our kids did, we, we want to tell the story and hear the story over and over and over and over again. Right? To the, to the chagrin of everybody else around us. Everybody else around us is going, yes, we've heard this from before. Go ahead and tell us again, though. But the person who loves God's Word says, I, I, I just, I want to feast on it. The picture is given in 1 Peter 2 of a newborn babe who drinks the Word, feasts on the Word like, like milk, like a newborn babe drinks milk. Like, like when Wyatt wants something to eat, he wants it then. <laughs> Are we the kind of people who love God's Word or do we have an aversion to God's Word? And can I tell you that it is incredibly disturbing to me. Incredibly disturbing to me. The movement in the American church to downplay the Word of God and the preaching of the Word of God and to lift up everything else over it. It's frightening. We have developed a generation of believers who have an aversion to God's Word. Have we even developed believers, we must ask? Shouldn't we? The disciples say to Jesus in John 6, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus tries to dismiss church. (laughs) And they say, oh no. We're still here because we love your word. Now, I'm not talking about long-winded preachers like yours truly. I'm just talking about we want to get into God's word. We want to know him. Real children of God don't have an aversion to God's word. They love it. 8 and verse 43. Number four. Why are they not children of God? They have a disregard for life. They have a disregard for life. Now, before you rule yourself out on this one, listen to verse 44. 
You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Satan had no regard for human life. He didn't care. He barged into the garden, into paradise. And he deceptively manipulated two people who, by the way, after falling into sin, didn't really need much more manipulation. But he did so because he didn't care about their life. He knew death was going to come to the whole world. He knew what was coming. And yet he let him into it anyway. He had no thought, no concern for what God had created. No concern for human beings being in the image of God. He total disregard for that. And here they are. Seeing God in the flesh. The God-man. And without any regard for human life, they're going to put him to death. And it won't just be for the sins of the world. Yes, that is true. It is by the murdering hands of human beings that it happened. And they are guilty and we are guilty because just as much as they kill, we kill. You say, I've never killed anybody. I've never murdered anybody. Jesus said, whoever hates a man in his heart commits murder. Why? Because we have, don't miss this, we have the same disregard for another human being and their life that Satan had in the Garden of Eden. Whenever we hate someone else, we have no regard for the image of God in them. We have no regard for what God commands us to do to love them. I'm not saying you overlook sin and I'm not saying that we that we somehow have this tolerance view. I am saying that every single person bears the image of God and we are not authorized to hate anyone. And when we do, we are living like our father by nature. Do you see this? It's a disregard for life. Fifth. That is our desire or our denial rather of the truth. Chapter 8, verse 44. These are ones who do not stand in the truth. Jesus says it's because there's no truth in them. They don't stand in the truth because there's no truth in them. Truth can only come from truth that's already there. Jesus is saying not, not only do they not tell the truth or stand in the truth, they don't even have the truth. And this is who we are by nature. Isn't it interesting that the world around us is going to war on the truth? Not just the truth of Scripture, but truth as a concept. We're at the place in in our culture that we're not just saying that God's Word is not true. We've said that for years. We're at the place in our culture that says it doesn't matter what truth is. You can define it. I can define it. Both things can be true at the same time. That's insanity. It's insanity. But this is the end of the natural mind. It chases after foolishness and calls it wisdom. Friend, we're even at the place where I can't even know what's true for you. I can't even know what's true for you. And it's nothing but foolishness. The Bible is true. God's Word is true. Jesus is truth. And to deny the truth, to deny truth at all, is to not be a child of God. We we love the truth. Satan is the father of lies. He speaks them out of his own character, the Bible says, which leads to number six, and that is our fallen nature. 
our fallen nature. When he lies, that's Satan, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. It's his fallen nature and we have the same fallen nature. Our, our lies, our sin. Kids, listen to me. Listen to me closely. When you choose to disobey God, listen to me. It is not anybody else's fault but yours. And anyone who tells you otherwise is a liar. Sin does not start. Sin is not some abstract concept out here that just kind of floats around in the clouds like Google. Sin must be formed in the human heart. Otherwise, it's not sin. Doesn't can exist. Sin is disobedience to God, and it takes a human being to disobey God. And every single one of us, sin is conceived in our hearts, and we are the ones who follow our own choices. Sin is not out there; it is in here. This is why we don't necessarily just guard what we experience in the culture; we guard our hearts because they are prone to wander. Jeremiah says, "Our nature is to be sinful by." By what is in our hearts. And here's the irony. The, the irony is that they believe they are following the truth. And yet they are following the very father of lies. The very one who is rejecting the truth. And they follow him as their father. This is what is so devastating about human nature. Our desire for the lack of restraint, our desire to just do whatever we want to do, actually leads us into bondage with Satan himself. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to destruction. And so, we are not children of God by nature. Why would John tell us this story? Well, he tells us this story... Because of chapter 20 and verse 31. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Why would He tell us this story about not being children of God if He wants us to believe in Jesus? The reason is because what we are not by nature, we must become by faith. The good news of the gospel this morning is that every single one of us who lives and breathes, there is plenty and ample opportunity for us to believe the gospel and to become children of God. This is the good news. And this is what we have already seen in John 1. And what John is doing is he's showing us this story. And if we're following all the way through John, this is why it's so important to see the whole of God's Word. You're reading through John. You can't help when you get to chapter 8 but go, that's terrible. I'm so thankful for John 1. Which is this. Verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. That's the rejection. That's the other father, the other family. Verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But 
to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Oh, hear this. We have rejected the Father by nature and we have chosen to become a part of an entire diff- entirely different family altogether. And this is our nature and this is where we would remain and there is nothing we can do about our condition. Oh, but hear this. God has done all that is required. And He did so by giving the life of His only Son. The one Son of the Father, Jesus the Christ, so that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that any, all who believe on Him would not perish but have everlasting life. The world standing condemned. God didn't come to condemn us in our sin, but rather to give us salvation in His name. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe in the Son is condemned already because he's not believed in the only Son of God. The only hope you have this morning to be a part of the family of God is Christ. Oh, how good it is to be a part of the family of God. And every single one of us can be a part of this family if you would just simply turn and look to the One who already is. That's the good news of the Gospel. To know Him as... A Savior and Lord is to know God as Father. But it is a decision that you must make today. When you put your faith in Christ and what He's done for you, when you believe the Gospel, the Bible says that you will be born again and become a child of God. This is the work of God in your heart to raise a dead man to life. And today, whether you are in the place of the younger son who is rebellious and prideful and obstinate, or maybe you're in the place of the older son where you believe that God somehow you deserve to be in the place that you are, both of us come before this, this Father and realize that only the Son could please Him. The one and only Son of God. And our only hope is to trust in Him. So would you? God is calling you today. Would you turn from your pride, from your rebellion, And come to the Father and be born again. With every head bowed and every eye closed. That is our invitation this morning. To come and trust in Christ. And receive all the benefits of sonship that we talked about. His instruction, His love, His correction. His Holy Spirit that will come and enable you to please Him. Serve Him with your life. Your sins will be forgiven. Would you come? crying out for mercy, would you come this morning? In a few moments, whenever we stand, our invitation is going to begin. We're going to have music just playing. It's a call to come to the altar. Would you come to the Father this morning? Some of you need to be reminded of who this Father is, that He has forgiven all of this amazingly. And you now know Him as Father. Today, rest in that. Rest in God as your Father. Wherever the case is, this altar will be open. We want to encourage you to come. Trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior and be born again this morning. Maybe you need to come and just spend some time in this altar. Whatever the case is, you respond to the Lord in obedience. Would you stand with me all across the room? I'm going to pray and our altar is open. You come. Lord Jesus, have your way in our hearts and in this place. We give you our lives. 
And we ask for you to move now in Jesus' name. Amen. You come this morning, even as the music plays. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.